the quantum mechanics. Thank you, lovely robotic lady. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast for the doubters, the believers, and everyone in between, or something in a different order to that. It's roughly that is our uh, what we call ourselves. <laughs> I, I like changing the order around. That's good. I think so. Like, there's probably there's obviously a finite number of orders, but uh, yeah, no, that works. And um, as we've been recently commenting, a strange week in the UK. We're all out of lockdown, been wandering around. The weather's been nuts, but it does feel a little bit more normal. And it feels like the world is kind of opening up. I'm not sure. Do you feel that way? Well, it's funny when you were saying that, I kind of... I. It's almost going on without me. I still feel in my little bubble. I've not actually done anything that I'm now allowed to do yet. So so weirdly, it hasn't really made much practical difference to me this week. And I keep saying, oh, we must go out and have a meal. We must go out. And then we just we just haven't had time to do it. So I'm, I, I'm aware it feels like the world is going on without me. So I need to get with the game, really. Yeah, I think that's that is a very interesting point is like I'm very happy for bits of the world to carry on without me but my goodness I want my pizza. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that bit's uh, that bit's going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, well, if there's any pizza sponsors out there, we'd be well, we'd be welcome I'll, for a slice. Um <laughs> honestly, I'll get I'll I'll wear your t-shirts. I'll, I'll even have a tattoo. I flipping love yeah. pizza. <laughs> yeah. um, before we get on to this week's topic, I just want to thank everybody. Some people definitely took to heart our ask for um, rating and reviews. We've had a couple of lovely five-star reviews on the Apple Podcast app. Um, and some lovely words. Thank you so much. It really does um, make a difference. Um particularly in like i joke now about coming out of lockdown but we're still just in our houses and we've still barely seen anyone so this is one of our contacts with the outside world and it absolutely makes a difference as we um sweat over some of these topics at uh, three in the morning keeping our partners awake and um uh making yeah. the dogs uh restless <laughs> yeah well, it, it, uh, it's interesting you say that because this week's episode, um, it's not about us or so anyone sweating. It's about people really literally sweating blood because I wanted to talk about stigmata. Okay, well, uh, so could I just start with just the... I think what I think stigmata are are bleeding wounds in the place of where in modern sort of theology we believe the nails went into the hands and feet of christ is that roughly accurate yeah well um interestingly let me i've got a dictionary definition oh okay so that because i thought I, I was struggling to kind of phrase it and i thought i'll just go to the dictionary so according to the dictionary Stigmata are marks that appear on a person's body in the same places where Christ was wounded when he was nailed to the cross. Some Christians believe these marks are the signs of holiness. 
But I, I think you're alluding to something there, which we will get on to, that that definition says wounds where he was nailed to the cross, and there is some debate about that, which we will cover. Right, right, definitely. right. I, and I th- presumably there are other wounds as well, like a um, like we've got the crown of thorns and we've got um, the spear. Yeah, so there, there, there tend to be the... The, the wounds in the hands and on the feet are, I guess, the most obvious ones, which are supposed to represent where the nails went. There is uh, wounds across the forehead, which is supposed to represent the crown of thorns. There is also uh, a, a wound to the side, which I believe from the biblical reference was inflicted on Jesus by a Roman centurion while he was on the cross yeah with a a spear with a spear uh there are some examples of people who've uh experienced let's say the stigmata who actually bleed or cry blood from their eyes as well that is another feature some uh have you know one or two of those signs some have a mixture some have all of them so it does vary interesting okay so is there a starting point for this is there a like a timeline where this starts being reported yeah yeah well i'm gonna get onto that one thing that i kept thinking while i was working on this is i've been fascinated with this actually from quite a young age and i was really thinking about why that was because i'm religiously agnostic wasn't brought up in a religious family didn't go to a religious school i think we've talked about it many a time on the podcast ben that i think for me certainly and i think to a certain degree you our obsession with the paranormal really started through watching scooby-doo oh yeah i i freely admit that yes but i can't believe they delved heavily into stigmata as a plot line so i haven't got my obsession with stigmata from that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well with fred's jumper which is always white it will yeah. be difficult yeah 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 that scooby stack thing's not gonna work i then started thinking about all the old horror movies I used to watch when i was younger but again it's weird even though things like hammer horror films they did play along with those paranormal themes and church and clergy i still remember stigmata being a part of those movies or many horror movies or any horror movies I could think of. I know there was a movie called Stigmaster in the late 90s. Mm. Um, but that's the only one I could really think of. But that wouldn't have influenced me as a child because I was an adult. No. So I, I, I was really racking my brains of where this fascination comes from. And I think I might have a theory. Yeah. My theory is... This phenomena, I think, is quite contradictory to me. Here you have something that is essentially gruesome, scary, right? Marks, bruises, bleeding, manifesting yeah. physically on people. However, to, to many people of faith, it's seen as a blessing, or as that dictionary definition states, a mark of holiness. And it just oh, made I me see. wonder as a child whether at some level those slightly can fusing themes of you know saintly and blessed yet dark and gruesome just as a young person maybe 
made me really curious. And I don't know if it's true, but it did cross my mind. Mm. Well, I, I think you you make a really good point because I think a lot of that imagery that is, you know, let's not beat around the bush, shown to very young children from a very young age, even if you're not in a religious school, it's hard to avoid it. But essentially, the image of Jesus, wherever you look, is a man on a torture object. That is literally what it is. And I think perhaps you're, you know, the younger kids are looking for some kind of reasoning for that. And then it does make sense that, um, like, because we have the whole coming back, you know, rising from the dead and all of that, there is some sort of, like, um, reason for having all of that suffering. But it's a macabre tale and it's a bit disturbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but almost kind of normalised in, in in certain ways, I think. But you talked about the history of it. So let's start with the first recorded case of Stigmata, which uh, involves Francis of Assisi, who is the patron saint of animals and the ecology. I didn't quite realise that. I I knew he had something to do with animals, but I didn't know about the ecology. So he's a noted holy man. He went on to become a saint. And even if you're not a religious person, I think most people have kind of heard of him or at least heard his name, Francis of Assisi. Mm, he's, mm. Quite, he's kind of one of those A-lister saints, isn't he? Yes, yes. <laughs> and and I do know um, years ago I used to take my dog to a vet who had a little um, ah. St. Francis of Assisi-like um, necklace. Right, yes, okay. Yeah. Who was the one who was the patron saint of travel? I, that was the other one that everybody had, didn't they? I remember when I was young. Oh, I don't know. Was that... Oh. Like Thomas, Sir Cri- was it St like Christopher? Oh yeah, St Christopher. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see that on cars, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I think you're right. I think Francis of Assisi and obviously St Christopher are probably two that I certainly remember from a child. But his he was involved in or was responsible, I guess, for the first case of uh, stigmata, and it happened to him on September the fourteenth in twelve twenty four. I love it when things go back that far and they've got the actual dates. It's just mad, I think. Um, He was at a retreat in Monte Laverna where he'd been fasting and contemplating the suffering of Jesus on the cross. I was going to describe what happens next, but I found this lovely, really just intriguing piece of text, which I'm going to read an edited version of of the event as recorded in a collection of legends and stories about him, the saint, uh, written in the 14th century. So uh, excuse my slightly uh, wordy phrasing, but I just love this. Of course. The quote goes, he began to contemplate the passion of Christ and his fervour grew so strong within him that he became wholly transformed into Jesus through love and compassion. While he was thus inflamed, he saw a seraph, which I believe is like a high-ranking angel, basically, uh, with six shining, fiery wings descend from heaven. This seraph drew near to St. Francis in swift flight so that he could see him clearly and recognise that he had the form of a man crucified. After a long period of secret converse, 
This mysterious vision faded, leaving in his body a wonderful image and imprint of the Passion of Christ. For in the hands and the feet of St. Francis, forwith began to appear the marks of nails in the same manner as he had seen them in the body of Jesus crucified. There's something about that fact that that was written in the 14th century, almost like a a news account. (laughs) Yes, it's what happened. Matter of fact, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, a man in Basingstoke had this kind of, you know what I mean? It, it, it reads like an article of that time. So it's claimed that, so Francis of Assisi, this angel came down basically, thought he had formed the shape of a crucified person. And I guess this is where this kind of contradiction comes, kind of gave him the gift, as it were, of the embodiment of the suffering of Christ, because that's what Francis of Assisi was contemplating. Mm. So it said he had five marks on his body. We talked about the different types a, a little bit earlier. He had one of each, one on each of his hands and his feet, where the nails fixed Christ to the cross, which we will come on to. Uh, one on his side, where Bible claims that Jesus received the spear wound from the Roman centurion. But it, uh, what what really struck me about the whole episode was I started thinking that if that's the first recorded case of stigmata in twelve twenty four, that's quite a while after the crucifixion. So why mm. so long before reported cases occurred? Literally, you know. 1,224 years afterwards. So I started digging around if there were any kind of, you know, earlier uh, accounts, which I couldn't find. But I did find something that maybe alludes to or could explain why it started then. And it may have something to do with the focus of the church at the time and the introduction of a new feast day in the Christian calendar called Corpus Christi. So this was a day when Christians were encouraged to contemplate the physical suffering that Christ endured. And that made me think about last week's episode, weirdly, Ben, and the experiments where humans concentrating or not concentrating Mm. on light has an effect on how light waves react. I also started thinking about the discussions we've had over the last few episodes about observer theory and quantum mechanics and it made me think whether whether belief and concentration could somehow manifest these physical marks on the body. So if you take it at face value, you've got Francis of Assisi who's fasting, you know, probably in some trance-like state because he's fasting. He is contemplating Christ's suffering and then, you know, whether he hallucinated or for real an angel came and visited him and gave him these markings, you know, that... Could your power of thought be that strong to actually create them yourself? Mm, mm. Now, I'm not necessarily that's anything to do with the quantum stuff we talked about, but it, there are parallels there with this, that. Well, there's also parallels with, I, I mean, I suppose they all fit into the same um, rough pigeonhole, but the tulpa. So that idea of being able to manifest... Yep a being that you imagine so hard because so by that uh, i don't know what what did you say 1225 did you say for 1224 
Twelve twenty-four. Oh, just before half past twelve. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> there is, there's this story that, like, so one explanation that I can imagine is that you have this story which is being passed around and passed around and passed around, and becomes so powerful that so many people are thinking about these wounds that is it this man who is the first person to be recorded mm. to like get the tolpa it's it's you know we often draw comparisons to modern day but it feels like at some point somebody is going to walk into a doctor's surgery with a lightning scar because they've been reading too much harry potter yeah yeah and and like is is there a comparison there it feels yeah. like there probably is yeah not to denigrate people's no, no, belief uh, but it's a story yeah like trans I don't, I don't know how it works but some kind of meditative they get into some meditative states and they almost believe that they could go to somewhere like hogwarts or create their own hogwarts and they actually visit that place you know, so which is not a million miles away from what no. you're saying. I don't no, think it, 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 it doesn't physically manifest, but it, there is a kind of belief system that this kind of fictional place that they visit in kind of a semi dream state is actually real or could right, be real. Right. But I, I suppose the difference between that and what we're talking there with um, Old St. Francis is like physical wounds physical actual wounds and that is that's another step along and that is either something that is manifested through something you know again we come back to all it's the same thing it's either manifested through a method that we don't understand Mm. it's self-harm or in you know some of the other phenomena we talk about it's a it's a fake yeah. Uh, or a, a hoax. Yeah. Um, or it is real. Yeah. Uh, there's there's only there's only really those three explanations. Well, I'm really interested as well what you were picking up on of, which I hadn't quite made that connection that because the church had set this day aside and it had become this thing that you know some mass concentration or mass thinking about it in that principle that, you know, that kind of Tolper-esque principle that you're talking about, whether actually there was almost a uh, a mass of people, a critical mass of people that could actually mm. create something to happen, which I hadn't really thought of. But I think that's what you're alluding to, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yes, exactly right. Exactly yeah, that's right. really yes. interesting. Well, I also... Um, so I started looking into the amount of cases uh, and I came across some stuff by a guy called Ted Harrison, who was a former religious correspondent for the BBC. Uh, and he reported that since St Francis of Assisi's case in the 13th century, there have been over 400 documented cases of stigmata. Which, okay, it's, it's a pretty long period of time, but that's still, I think these are documented officially logged cases so 400 over 400 that is a lot now i how does one i know what you you gave me the dictionary definition there 
but a stigmata could be made you know physically mm -hmm. you know yeah. in a grotesque way using a screwdriver yeah. or yeah. a razor blade on one's own body yeah is there a way that people go well look this is this is either blood coming through the skin or there's no trauma there yeah but the skin is open how does one measure that i think that's a good question in terms of I could kind of answer that not in a direct way, probably in an indirect way, because we will come on to something a bit later, which is making me think about it, is <clears throat> it depends. It's like all things. It's like paranormal investigations. I think it depends who is investigating it, how they're investigating it, and whether you know controls are in place or all that stuff you know we've we've talked yeah, about many yeah. tv shows who've gone and investigated paranormal cases and i think frankly me and you just wouldn't believe a word of it right um yeah yeah so i think you're right to to highlight i'm not sure what 400 documented cases means and it certainly doesn't mean some independent scientist has looked at the wounds and said no i can't work yes. out how they've created it and we and yes the word documented <laughs> is doing some heavy lifting there yeah exactly exactly and and also i think if you think about the 14th and 15th century and we've covered quite a lot of stuff from the 15th century paranormal beliefs and various stuff going on you know it was almost mainstream and accepted then so i'm sure yeah. Not stigmata, but generally paranormal activity. So documented cases, I think we need to take with a pinch of salt. You're right. Yes, because like even in the 15th, like I think the 15th century is probably like the ultimate who's checking on you. But yeah. the, there must be some allure to some people to go, you know what, if... What I've heard in church or what I've seen in religious iconography, if I just cut my hand there, and really yeah. it's it's one, two on each hand, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's eight little cuts and some blood. Yeah. And then you wander up somewhere and go, look at me. I'm a holy man. Yeah. Is there a chance that I could get sainted? Yeah. And then... It's it's like winning X Factor in the fifteenth century. Yeah, right? well, yeah, and like, even and even not, it doesn't necessarily have to be that um, planned or Machiavellian. You know, I think I think we've seen with stuff that we've done on mass hysteria that you can be sucked sucked into or you know swept away. Maybe is the word with an environment and places and groupthink. Right. Then yes. You, yes. You might not. You know. You might even realise that you've done it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You. You could. Well, it's a form of um, mental health issue, isn't it? You, yeah. You're like, all, all I'm doing is exacerbating this these wounds that were, you know, that were given to me. Yeah. Or they were starting to form because I think you. They were starting to form. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I didn't want to lose them. Yeah. But but there there is a real weird thing about all of this like before you you know you talk about the medical stuff or whatever it's a real weird thing like it is a peculiar belief to go 
Oh, you know, like that guy that we worship. Yeah. You know how he died horribly in a torture device? Yeah. Well, somehow they've inflicted that back on me and it's brilliant. Yeah. And I think that is a really, that is a strange way of thinking, I it, think. It's, it's kind of the paradox I was talking about right at the right. start, isn't it? It's that, you know, and we'll come on to some of the cases in a minute where, where it's, if you put them in a pure paranormal setting you'd go that is absolutely terrifying but what's mm. what's strange in lots of ways is not only for the people who are experiencing it but also the people who are observing it it's almost a joyous thing which i think mm. is is so mm. strange but so we talked yeah. about the 400 documented cases interestingly one of those cases features someone we've talked about on the podcast before. Not Ruth Roper Wild. No, no, <laughs> not Ruth, not Ruth. <laughs> Padre Pio. Oh, the guy who could materialise in different places. Yeah, so we featured the, the, the quite controversial monk and saint, Padre Pio, on our episode about doppelgangers, uh, which, if you've not heard, is a really good episode, so worth going and checking that episode out there's some really good stories on that one but it includes the story about Padre Pio who was known for appearing and conducting services with his flock at the same time in different locations two different locations often different countries right and it wasn't like he was broadcasting in via zoom (laughs) this was pre-zoom um so yes he he could be in two places at once. He had performed various miracles, apparently, but he's also known for displaying the stigmata, especially on his palms, which would bleed profusely. And I, I did find some photos of this, which are a bit gruesome, um, so bear that in mind, but we will put them in the photo album that we stick on Facebook. Uh, as we do for each of our episodes. So if you go to at TQM Podcast, check that out. Like and follow while you're there. It would be great. Um, but yeah, it, it's that mixture, isn't it, of the macabre and holy, because Pio used to conduct services while displaying his bloody stigmata, basically. And his congregation, this is even weirder for me, his congregation would come and kiss his bloody palms. And that was seen as a great honour. So again, it's that kind of irony of the worship and what is is basically macabre, right? It is very macabre. And what is so peculiar about it is that um, it's hard to to sort of put together the whole... um, like what Christians say is the message of Christ, and yet to inflict suffering on somebody to show your presence. I don't know any other way of putting it, but yeah. that yeah. does seem odd. But I keep coming back to, like, has he... Like, I don't think the Bible or... Any of any of those fellas in the Bible talk about like by location or anything, like no, like no. this guy does. 
Like, yeah. is it just is it a side effect maybe of something that he can do? And like, part of that side effect is, I really want to show you how holy I am. The best way I can do that is to show you the wounds of mm. Christ. But well, what I, I'm, I'm also so... going to ask is, no, I was going to say, is are they in the historically accurate place? Because that, to me, is the curious thing about these things. No, they're not. We will go get onto that in a minute, but no, they're right. not. Um, and I think what's interesting about Pio, and I did some research on it, and I didn't go too much into detail because, you know, you could we could do three episodes probably on him himself, but... I know there was a period where uh, he was almost banned from doing religious services and this big falling out with the church. Then he kind of came back into kind of fashion again and that's later he became made a saint. So, and I I don't know, there are different sides to that story, but I wonder whether it was almost he was almost too much of a supernatural showman in some ways for the church and it was too supernatural. And I think you're right. For whatever reason he could do it, you know, whether it was just his mind over his own body or some kind of miracle happening, you know, to do two services in two separate places, two separate countries at the same time. So physically look like you're there for these things to come out of his uh, palms and, you know, conduct services. I mean, that's incredible. Incredibly powerful, yes. I think. Um, yeah, we we talked is. about some of the sceptical views and I was going to do, I, I, I was writing, to putting together and writing a detailed description of the sceptical view and I found a great article from the Guardian newspaper. It's quite an old one. And after I read it, I thought, actually, I can't write anything more eloquent or that describes it better than this. So what I'm going to do is basically just read that article because I think it lays out the sceptical view. And interestingly, it starts with Padre Pio as well. Okay, nice. So when the Vatican canonised Padre Pio Forgione in 2002, it studiously avoided mentioning his famous physical features, the stigmata or wounds of Christ that appear on his hands and left side. Uh, It goes on to say, St Francis of Assisi, whose wounds appeared during an angelic vision in 1224, was the first recorded stigmatic. His unusual markings incorporated both Christ's wounds and the nails that inflicted them. Uh, Less pious observers today might describe these as large scabs. There have been 400 stigmatas since then, which we talked about. About 25 remain bleeding today. Most are women, and virtually all are Catholic. Wounds appear most commonly on the hands and feet, but also the sides of the body, where Jesus was speared while on the cross, and on the forehead representing the crown of thorns. Most stigmatics bleed little, though some squeeze out up to a pint at a time, which is just incredible. The personality profile of the typical stigmatic is not a happy one. Many contemporary subjects have been victims of abuse and suffer low self-esteem. Most stigmatas are deliberately self-inflicted or follow more complex patterns of self-harm like those of Munchausen syndrome. Uh, 
One common criticism of stigmata sufferers is that their wounds correspond more closely to religious art than do genuine Roman crucifixion techniques. Christ, right. Christ would have been pierced through the wrists and ankles rather than his hands and feet. Some new wave stigmatics, like Emiliano Aden, a 29-year-old Argentinian, counter this by displaying more accurately placed wounds. There are, however, medical conditions that could account for some instances of stigmata. Higher mathediarosis, I think I've said that right, whereby... That's easy for you to say. It really isn't. Uh, whereby a person appears to sweat blood can occur at times of extreme stress, while spontaneous hemorrhaging, called psychogenic purpura, have also been recorded. Physical wounds have also manifested under hypnosis. So this bit's really interesting. In 1933, Dr. Alfred Leckler recreated a full range of stigmatic markings on a 29-year-old German woman after she had seen a film of Christ's crucifixion. Hypnosis has also been shown to help haemophiliacs with their condition, while other subjects have learned to direct the flow of blood to specific parts of the body. It seems that the key to genuine stigmatics can be found not with God, but deep in the human mind. So that, that's the end of the, the Guardian article, which I thought raised some really interesting points there. But that, that last point about hypnosis really set me thinking that, you know, that seems like someone has yes. proved that you can, through your mind, redirect blood to a certain part of your body, which could at least show a bruise. I don't know if it would come out. But then if you were maybe haemophiliac and you even got a slight cut, that would, you know, that would kind of manifest in that way. Yes. And and when you look at things like, um, you know, human mental disorders, you get um, a lot of physical symptoms which, you know, to all intents and purposes they're real although uh it's almost like the protagonist is the brain rather than a real external influence so yeah yeah you get people who you know if you have a panic attack you get high blood pressure you get the pains in your chest and whatever and this is all because of brain stimulation yeah and again it feels like there's maybe a halfway house between what i was saying there about tulpas and what that article there was saying about what you can manifest physically in your own body. And if you believe um, so much in a particular concept, like there are people who like in a com completely different context, there are people who sort of, for example, say, you know, oh, I'm going to die of a heart attack. And then 20 years later they do because they've, they've thought themselves into yeah, that yeah, yeah. this feels like a, the very similar thing and again like the the were the world of tulpas you just said there it seems like the um the greatest number of people with these stigmata are catholic uh women yeah well when we were talking about like can you are ghosts manifested by our own intelligence we were talking about the different sorts of ghosts and um, supernatural beings that are in different cultures. And so, you know, we were talking like about the Arabic jinn 
yep. versus our sort of um, six-year-old Victorian girl. And again, it feels like there's a real huge cultural influence. Mm. If Jesus was, you know, the Jesus for all humanity and there was a reason for instilling stigmata on people, why is it Catholic women? Why isn't it prevalent in everybody? Why isn't it in Arabian people? Why isn't it in tribes in the South Seas that have never made contact with humans? It should, if it, empirically, it should be. Well, it's re- really interesting that you make that point because that is my next point, actually. Because I went back oh. to the BBC uh, correspondent, Ted Harrison, who I mentioned earlier, and he makes some interesting statistical observations. So he says the demographics of stigmata have been changing from overwhelmingly being a pre- predominantly female phenomenon to be a more balanced uh, gender mix. Harrison suggests this could be explained by the change in the balance of authority between men and women in the church and society, and that in previous centuries, women may have been manifested stigmata to draw attention to themselves in a society dominated by men and in a church that excluded them from the priesthood. Mm. He then goes on to talk... That's a really interesting point, yeah. Yeah, he then goes on to talk about something we, we did touch on a little bit earlier, that, you know, he noted that the role of stigmata plays in granting to individuals and congregations a direct spiritual authority. So that's a bit of what we were talking about earlier. So if you think yeah. of uh, Pedro Pio coming out, you know, what? I, I mean, I don't know whether his, uh, his bleeding manifested during the service or before or whatever, but just the photos I've seen where he's standing there with both his arms out and his palms are just covered in blood in a religious context tying in with all that imagery of the cross and crucifixion i mean how powerful must that be to a congregation yes 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 Yes, uh, uh, absolutely and i hadn't actually considered that bit about the elevation of power but yes it does give you uh power and authority over believers in that concept that that is a very fascinating point of view and they must make it must make you whether it's i'm not saying it wasn't a genuine effect that was happening i'm not saying he's faking it but just preaching to your congregation in that manner you'd watch it and go this person has supernatural powers when you couldn't help but Yes, yes, yes. Uh, on yes, some yes. level, think yes. that, right? Yes, um, yes, and it, completely. And I thought, like you did, I started thinking about, you know, locations of where these stigmata occurred, uh, as in, you know, countries, and whether there are examples of similar phenomena in other religions. And I really struggled to find them. And, you know, again, this article talks about how until the 20th century, cases were pretty much confined to Catholic Europe. Since then, the phenomena has been occurring further afield. 25 cases scattered around the world, including Korea and Japan. 
However, these cases, as with most stigmata, are connected primarily to Catholic Church and Catholic uh, beliefs. And there doesn't seem to be any parallel or similar phenomenon in any other of the major non-Christian religions that I could find. And in articles I've read, there's no... You know, it states that there is nothing quite like the stigmata, which does kind of, again, makes me think, does it tie back to the kind of foundation of the religion and the iconography and everything playing such a major role? I Well, yeah, I think that's a really good point because um, it's also like when you look at other religions there isn't necessarily a particular focal point that you could folk you know you you could draw attention to which would be so iconic as you know the supposed wounds of christ like if you look at something like buddhism what is the focal point of that like i totally would embrace buddhism but it's you know no offense to anyone but he's a larger gentleman who's reclining who's reclining yeah he's not coming out with with stigmata (laughs) no and and i can absolutely get on board with being a larger gentleman (laughs) and reclining but i don't think i'm going to get an audience there's nothing magical about being a little plump and having a lie down yeah whereas if you there's almost like a cult thing in this like a c-u-l-t not occult but a cult like thing where you say well look um the leader did this and i'm so similar to the leader that i'm bleeding you know it's you might as well just get into i don't know a white robe and wear sandals it's sort of there's a thing there, and the since you said it, I've really been thinking, yeah, there is a power play there. And that that is a, re- a very difficult thing to overcome because I think for people who are, you know, believers in that religion, they would say, well, you know, this is a sign from God, a sign from Jesus that this person is saying... A sign of belief. Ho- holy words and this is a sign that you should listen to their holy words but on the other side you go well look we understand that you know that like i will come on to it another time but um there was a there's a um a famous experiment called the philip experiment where a group of people um created a fictional person and then through seances channeled them and um this feels exactly the same it feels very strange that if your uh if your god if your idol as it were was um you know a man of peace who preached love and well-being that the way that um he would show that you were the person that should be passing on his word is to be afflicted with the same wounds that he had on a torture device. I think that's a really peculiar well, it's, it's way it's, of thinking about it's it. It's interesting you said that, and it's interesting you talked about your, you know, your fictional person that 
gets channeled through a seance or whatever. Um, because both of those things and the stigmata do make me think about those discussions we've had over the last couple of weeks about creating them. You, do you remember when we were talking about 30 East Drive? Yeah, yeah. We said it actually doesn't matter if the original story didn't in, was faked and it didn't involve any ghosts. No. It's people's belief now have created yes. it. Yes. Yes, like your you, you, your, your you fictional, muster a murderous monk. Yes, like your fictional person spreading around doesn't necessarily yes. mean that they didn't do that. It just means that they could have created that from their energy and power themselves. Same with this, yes. where you've got this such iconic figure, such this iconic backstory with suffering and pain, and that you know that in somehow it's taken on a life of its own and been created out of that the effect of the stigmata whatever you know doesn't necessarily mean that it it's been faked but i mean there are examples of fakery i've got a couple here and it's interesting that that um quote earlier about this you know especially back in those times that the church was such a male-dominated institution that actually if you're a woman at that time that you might kind of, I don't know, the frustration of it all might lead you to create something. You you already alluded to that. And I came across a story like that, which is uh, one of someone called uh, Magdalena de la Cruz, who was a famous 16th century stigmatic. And she confessed to inflicting her own injuries. And I think her story is pretty similar to that. It reminded me a bit of the Fox Sisters story as well, where I think she she wanted to express her devotion and her religion and if there was no kind of route for her to do it so ended up faking the stigmata to almost lift herself to the attention of what was a male-dominated institution at that time. So, so yeah, Ben, we've, we, we've talked about the fact that most stigmatics are female. However, I did come across quite a bizarre story of a male stigmatic from the 1500s. It's a really weird story, this. So this is the story of uh, Johann Jetzer, who claimed to have experienced stigmata, also claimed to have had religious visions, and interestingly, uh, recurring poltergeist phenomena. So there's a real mixture of kind of ghosts. Yeah, there's a lot going on there, yeah. However, he confessed in 1507 that he'd faked his stigmata. Didn't say whether he faked his religious visions or the poltergeist activity, but he definitely faked his stigmata. (laughs) <laughs> but when I read the story, it made me think, did he have some kind of supernatural powers? Because he was sentenced to death along with four friars from his monastery. I don't know what they were guilty of, probably helping him. The four friars were burned at the stake. However, Jetzer avoided punishment. After his mother smuggled in some women's clothes to the prison, and somehow he managed to talk his way out of the cell and to freedom. So he escaped punishment. Wait, what? So he dressed as a woman? He dressed as a woman. I don't know how he got out of his... It didn't go into much more detail than that. It just said he somehow managed to get his... talk his way out of the cell and uh, 
and go to freedom. He sneaked out of the jail dressed as a woman. How he got out of the cell, I have no idea. But I felt very sorry for his his four fellow friars who probably did very little, who were burned at the stake, and he managed to get away scot-free. That's a bizarre story. I'd love to know more about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I might dig- Maybe he just dressed in such an alluring way that his captors were just like, well, you know. They were in awe of him. Yeah. If you're wearing stockings that way. Yeah, out you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Off you go with your bleeding hands. I am... Um, Whatever whatever this phenomena is, whether it's paranormal, miracle, self-inflicted or some strange mind over matter thing going on, there have been some incredible cases. So I just wanted to close with a couple that are a bit more modern. I say modern in inverted commas. I wanted to start with uh, Teresa Newman, who was born in Bavaria in 1898. She became a missionary in Africa and in 1918, age 20, was injured in a fire and suffered paralysis. Now, I did research this story from a number of angles and some of the stories, which seems to make sense to me, some versions of it described that when it said she suffered from paralysis, it was what they called hysterical paralysis, which could not be medically explained. So in some way, which I think is quite interesting in the context of a stigmata, that she had managed to almost mentally induce a paralysis where she couldn't move and was bedridden. The upshot was she remained paralysed, either hysterically paralysed, for seven years until she claimed she was visited by a saint who asked her if she wanted to get better. And obviously she said yes. But the downside, according to the saint, was that she would have to suffer for the rest of her days. And from that point on, she suffered the stigmata on her hands, feet and side. Blood would also ooze from her eyes. Um, I have seen some pictures of this, which again we'll put on the photo album, but I do warn you they are quite shocking. And weirdly, this would happen to her it says, it said in the articles that I've read, most Fridays for the next 30 years. But yeah, she she would pretty much regularly suffer from stigmatas on a weekly basis for 30 years. She attracted large crowds of visitors who would go... Uh, she would also go into a trance-like state while visitors were there, make predictions. She also claimed that she'd stopped eating and drinking apart from communion. So just the wafers and communion wine was all she said that she ate from that point on as part of her, I guess, like a penance. Those wafers are quite filling if you have them. With a <laughs> if you have cup, enough right? of them, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this We kind of mentioned this earlier, but the church would have regular inspections uh, with the implication that the phenomenon was genuine. But... On a couple of the articles I read, it seemed to say that the church later on itself admitted that these investigations were either inconclusive or not necessarily conducted to scientific standards, let's say. Uh, So this went on for quite a while for her. She died in 1962, age 64. But I thought what was interesting about that story is if the some of the versions that i read if somehow she mentally 
induced this paralysis in herself that she was actually paralysed after a traumatic incident. That maybe she could in some way create this, you know, the the stigmata happening. I find it hard to see how you could on a regular basis create bloody tears coming from your eyes. Seems quite a difficult thing to sell. I, I don't even want to go into detail, but it does seem like a hard thing to self-induce for a long period of time. I get why you could on your hands and stuff. Yeah, it <coughs> no, it is. But um, was she ever put under laboratory conditions or observed? No, yeah, you see that no. that there's the thing <coughs> is like, and there was also uh, there also seems to be a suggestion that at some point the kind of novelty of visiting her and seeing this event wore off and crowds stopped coming, and. After that, did, did she have to come up with a new act? Well, I'm saying after that, basically, the stigmata subsided pretty much, yeah, and didn't return. Yeah. And and for me, in that way, you say either there's an elaborate um thing going on, like I could imagine, and not to be too gross about it, but taking some dried blood from your hand and putting it under your eye, yeah, yeah, like that would do it, yeah. Um, but again, like if this is supposed to be religious symbolism, why would a deity go, oh, well, seems like people aren't interested anymore. I'll just stop doing that to her. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Well, what, what was interesting about that story is I think it, to me, it, it, it deviated from the narrative of it being a kind of blessing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I can, yeah. the, the, the narrative was I can cure your paralysis however you'll have to suffer. And that seemed very paranormal, you know, bad spirit-like. There was something, it was almost a horror movie narrative to that, isn't it? Or a, or a tale, mm. tale of the unexpected. Aha, you know, doing a deal with the devil and there's always mm. a downside. It felt, felt more like that than the other stories I read. Yes, yes, yes. The one I want to close with is, I mean, it's a mind-boggling story of Teresa Musco. Uh, She was born in Caserta in Italy in 1943. At five years old, she claimed to have her first vision of the Virgin Mary, who then visited her regularly. She then claims to have been visited by Jesus who says he told her that he loved her so much that he'd be willing to be crucified again for her. This bit's really interesting. In 1950, she was visited by Padro Pio, who we mentioned earlier, who mm. could do the, uh, the stigmata for services. He showed her his stigmata wounds. And I would imagine you're thinking, ah, and then she started showing the stigmata. She did, but it wasn't until 1969. So it was 19 years later. She says she was visited by the Virgin Mary again, who said, uh, I quote, my beloved son desired to give you his wounds. She then manifested, manifested a full stigmata with wounds to her hands and feet, marks of the crown of thorns on her head. She displayed the stigmata for many years after that, and it's said, this bit's uh, weirdly, 
I find it even weirder. It said she recalls holy statues and pictures to eat blood when she passed them. I weirdly find that more spooky than the marks on the body. I don't know why. Maybe it's because she's influenced something that she doesn't have direct control. And that's some we've talked yeah. about this before with, you know, objects of evil, where it's something about an inanimate object doing something is imminently or, or just yes. seems more scary. Yes, yes, yes. And and also this sounds to me I think it's very, very hard to put into this into the context of anything which is trying to do good this to me falls into the like mischievous spirit well yeah and her story goes on like that i mean she said of the events such as interestingly the statues and the paintings crying blood she said of those events that it was the pain of humanity's sins were too much for her to bear and that she transferred that pain in somehow to the statues and pictures like a kind of release when it got too bearable unbearable she she somehow manifested it into the pictures because it's the only way cause she could cope with it which does sound quite spirit possession like yeah it does doesn't it at yeah. the end is like that as well she said that jesus she's said to have told people that jesus visited her and told her she that he would end her suffering when she was 33 years of age. She died on August the 19th, 1976, age 33. Mm. I I mean yeah. That is that is a very peculiar story but um I think anyone that thinks that that has anything to do with religion is is misguided that 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 to me sounds like possession by a um like a very manipulative demon i mean there is no difference between that and like a traditional possession story except for she's not saying um you know terrible words under her breath to a priest Mm. But it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I don't know, it brought up such a lot for me, researching and finding these stories. And we get this a lot, don't we, with the topics we discover or we go into. You end up coming away, scratching your head, thinking of loads of different things. Yeah, and that's the same with this for me. You know, you kind yes. of you kind of go, oh, it's people with some kind of Munchausen syndrome. No, it's yes. it's people who are faking it to get attention or, or or through some kind of mental illness. No, it's you know some kind of spiritual events happening, whether it's some group event that's creating it or or, or individuals creating it. Yes, you then go oh, but it does seem like there's some kind of darker spirits at play here. and Yes, yes. There's everything in it, I think. I, yes. I can't pin it down. No, and I, I, I do think that darker spirit thing plays a role because, and I guess this is something for another episode, but if, like, Christianity is, well, uh, our calendar is useful for, for this. It is 2,021 years old. Um, 
but before that there were many other religions and like we know the gods that um the greeks um worshipped and the egyptians worshipped and currently today all the other gods that people worship and like if you look at the egyptians and i guess this is where we'll have to do a deep dive and probably speak to somebody who really knows what they're talking about but like anubis has a dog's head Mm. and i don't know if there was anybody who had the egyptian equivalent of stigmata where their head started looking like Mm. a spaniel Mm. like that that for me makes me think well if you're a trickster spirit it's it it is relatively easier to make someone's hands bleed than it is to um turn their head into that of a dog Mm. and it just it just doesn't ring true it there is something there is something desperately strange about this that like and i feel like the reason it hasn't been investigated is because probably on one side people go well well you know they just they're doing it to themselves and then on the other side i think it might be quite difficult for let's say it's the catholic church to kind of go and debunk these people because i'm not I'm not saying they're useful idiots, but they are useful idiots in a way. Yeah. But, um, well, it, well, it's kind of like, you know, we've talked about some of those themes of the power of it. So, I, mean, I think reading, obviously, there are lots of different opinions within the church or every a religion and different positions. But it seems that there's almost on one side, there's a attraction to the concept of the stigmata because like you said even if it's on a subconscious level it's probably powerful in terms of sermons and phenomena and you know religion a religion that's also focuses on a lot of miracles like a lot of religions do it ties into that um l-o-r-e law you yeah know. yeah but then on the other hand, there is this kind of slightly darker, more sinister side. And from a lot of the stuff I read just researching this and have read in general, I think on this topic, there is almost a, an uncertainty about those two threads and themes. And I think it's yeah. why the church doesn't really talk about it so much now and does yeah. play down, you know, you know, we talk about Pedro Pio. He's a saint, right? He was made a saint. Yeah. And as I said earlier on in one of the pieces that I quoted, the church don't really talk about the fact that he would create the stigmata, even though there's lots of photos of him doing it. Because I think there is this kind of... On some ways, it's useful that he can do sermons in two places and this this kind of miraculous, fantastical stuff. On the other hand, it is a bit witchcrafty. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And I think there is like as far as the church is concerned coming at it from an outsider it feels like um he gets like people like the church doesn't really want to talk about like his bilocation but if that was mentioned in the bible if there was a a saint in the bible who could bilocate Mm. oh well you know fine we'd have gift shops dedicated to him there'd be Mm, pictures but more modern times it's like oh god it's a bit embarrassing that you can bilocate because, yeah. as you say, there are elements of the dark arts there. Yeah. And um, and I think there is that 
Um, and I, I've, again, I'm just thinking on my feet now, but I never really considered it. But perhaps even the church doesn't know what is a dark art and what is a miracle. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps there, there, there is a be some... really fine line between yeah. them. Yeah, definitely. A- and determining the force behind them is something that is perhaps beyond the wit of any man. Not mm. not just a you know your man on the Clapham omnibus, but even perhaps beyond what the church is confident to judge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly. I know we've got a lot of listeners out there and we're really, for want of a better phrase, we are a, a broad church, as we say, in terms of, you know, believers in... Since stro- lockdown, I'm a lot broader. <laughs> yeah, in terms of, you know, views on these topics. And I've come at it as as we normally do from a double agnostic point of view, agnostic from a kind of paranormal sense, but also agnostic from a religious point of view because that's that's where my belief system sits or doesn't sit um and i'm sure we have people with varying views out there i would love to hear drop us a line on social media or, or twitter or wherever you you come across us just i would love to get some other opinions of people who anyone but specifically religious believers because there must be a whole range of christian and catholic believers out there who've got varying different views on the topic of stigmata but also you know anyone who does believe that it's a genuine thing because i I, i'm genuinely fascinated by this topic and i think researching it has actually just I don't know, highlighted or increased that fascination rather than put it to bed. Yeah, no, completely. And also that difficulty of um, that fine line between if you are religious, if somebody in your household starts bleeding from their hands and, you know, to take it to the extreme by locating, do you go and get a priest to... Uh, exercise them or do you go and get a priest to canonize them yeah, how does yeah, it's, yeah. what is that what is where, that fine line yeah where does that line that's a really interesting yeah. point a really interesting question and again as i said i'm sure even within christianity and the catholic church and even within the priesthood i bet there are polar opposite views on yeah. that kind of question so it'd be really fascinating to hear some different opinions on that yeah definitely agreed yeah well that was a lot of fun i keep looking at my palms and i'm very (laughs) pleased that they are still uh wholly skinned and uh haven't done anything to them well actually Um, on that point i think that and you raised it a number of times rightly during the podcast the this disconnect between what artistically is almost a trope of where the nails of the cross of the crucifixion went in the palms and on mm. more in the palms than the feet probably i mean it's interesting when i was reading the the francis of assisi account of what happened it doesn't actually go into detail of where those markings were for him it just says 
the hands and feet. Now, arguably, you know, I think if I was talking about the wrist, I could probably describe it as the hand. So it doesn't go into that kind of detail. Mm. But interesting mm. how it changed, which it does tend to lean to some kind of, if you put fakery aside, if it is a genuine phenomenon, it does seem to fit in with this theory that somehow we can create this stuff ourselves for whatever reason. And and that leads me to like, well, if everything, if if you are a religious person, you believe that everything was as preordained. And um, in that previous story, we heard like um, somebody is getting these stigmata until the age of 33, which is obviously when Jesus died. Like, why are they going through that what is the point of putting them through something which is obviously so traumatic and that's why i keep going back to that darker entity that would be doing that and it's kind of like sticking two fingers up if you've got a good reason why they would be doing that and persecuting that person because it does feel like persecution like that is also an interesting point of view yeah definitely and the other thing i've learned from this episode is that if i do ever get arrested i'm going to ask my mum to sneak in a dress because that's the only way to escape from prison sneak in (laughs) sneak me in a dress i need a dress (laughs) god what sort of dress though can you imagine like i'm not sure it wouldn't have been a chanel little black number would it It would not in the 1500s (laughs) it would have been a sack right would it would have to be. It would have to be a sack. It's almost like, like a Black Adder scene, that isn't it? Oh, it, it completely is. But it's it's almost a very Monty Python. Yeah, yeah, Monty Python or Black Adder, definitely. So, oh, we lock. I I thought it was a man in there, but it turns out to be a woman. Yeah. Oh yes, I'm a woman. Yeah. Let me out. Yeah. That is weird, isn't it? That, that is, really is so strange. weird. I might have to dig deeper into that story. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, Maybe um, Peculiar Prison Escapes is... Um, <laughs> is an episode, yeah. It's an episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. We'll look into that. Um, look, before we go, again, once again, can't say it enough. Thank you so much to those of you who did acknowledge, share, like, subscribe, review. Um, yeah, I can't tell you how much it helps. Please keep on doing that. Yeah. I'm, and, I'm not um, only does it help us, but actually, really, it's just... It, really lovely to read them it's nice to get some good feedback some feedback yeah. oh yeah no it, it it totally is it totally is um but uh yeah it makes it makes it all worthwhile and um actually yeah. on that front if you are a regular listener you do like what we do and you have got five minutes just go and write a review or at least stick a few stars next to us on wherever you get your podcast that would be fantastic just do it for yeah. us, please please otherwise we could suffer for years and years on end don't beg don't beg it's not becoming can't i just beg a bit no okay no i'm not gonna beg don't do that um no (laughs) (laughs) all right well we will see you next time on the quantum mechanics see you next time
the quantum mechanics, 